This week, Kate Bowler had a, a blessing on peace, and I thought I would share that with you this morning. Our second candle is the peace candle, and I would like to read to you what she had to say about peace this week. This is for a blessing when you need a little peace. God, I am a shapeshifter, hidden in plain sight, a great disappearing act. Every now and again, when I am spinning in a tornado of other people's needs and wants, I worry that if I stepped out of it to stand dumbfounded for a moment, would my, would my body cast a shadow? God, I vanish. The unnecessary pain and necessary needs of others feels durable, measurable. God, look at how much they need me. Isn't it necessary that I am not myself today? God, remind me of my own goodness, the way you look at me and grin, the way the earth can stretch to hold my own dreams when I remember them. God, let my stomach grumble and I eat. Let me be delighted and I laugh. Let me tire and I rest. Give my heart peace today as I am here surprisingly myself, while the world spins and spins. My name is Shay. My pronouns are she, her. Our scripture this morning comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38 in the Passion Translation. During the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God's presence to an unmarried girl named Mary, living in Nazareth, a village in Galilee. She was engaged to a man named Joseph, a true descendant of King David, Gabriel appeared to her and said, Rejoice, beloved young woman, for the Lord is with you, and you are anointed with great favor. Mary was deeply troubled over the words of the angel and bewildered over what this may mean for her. But the angel reassured her, saying, Do not yield to your fear, Mary, for the Lord has found delight in you and has chosen to surprise you with a wonderful gift. You will become pregnant with a baby boy, and you are to name him Jesus. He will be supreme and will be known as the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will enthrone him as king on the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign as king of Israel forever, and his reign will have no limit. Mary said, but how could this happen? I am still a virgin. Gabriel answered, the spirit of holiness will fall upon you, and Almighty God will spread his shadow of power over you in a cloud of glory. This is why the child born to you will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your aged aunt, Elizabeth, has also become pregnant with a son. The barren one is now in her sixth month. Not one promise from God is empty of power. Nothing is impossible with God. Then Mary responded, saying, Yes, I will be a mother for the Lord. As his servant, I accept whatever he has for me. 
May everything you have told me come to pass. And the angel left her. Thanks be to God. I forgot to mention this morning, again, a special thank you to Cindy Kirsch for everything that you see up here. <laughs> she commissioned an art student at ISU to do this artwork up here. And we really would like for you to come up here after the service and look at the details and the depth and the beauty that's in this portrait, as well as seeing the pictures on the tree and the pictures down here, and you bring your own next week, okay? Thank you, Cindy, for doing this. It's beautiful. What do we think when we hear this scripture? Anything, it's a familiar one, correct? So did anything different jump out at you this time? Something maybe worded a little bit differently. Yes. I'm not sure Mary took being pregnant as a gift. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, right, right. Diane is like, did Mary really take this pregnancy as a gift? It's a good, it's a good and fair question. Anyone else? Yeah. Yes. Kelly's like, this particular passage just goes in so many different directions. We're going to go down a few of those this morning. Yes? Yeah. <laughs> Joseph is not even mentioned. Yes. Right, right, yes. I was about to say. <laughs> Next week, Brian is going to talk about Joseph and his part in the whole shenanigans. So y'all come back next week to hear that. Yes. Yes, yes, there was danger for her, absolutely which is why the name of today's sermon is God Meets Us in Our Fear. How could she have not been fearful, right? How would you not be? Jason Salyer shared this with me this past week. It's from someone on Facebook named Heather. Okay, that's what I got. But this is what Heather from Facebook said. Have you ever noticed in the scriptures men are always going up into the mountains to commune with the Lord? Yet in the scriptures we hardly ever hear of women going to the mountains. But we know why, right? Because the women were too busy keeping life going. They couldn't abandon babies, meals, homes, fires, gardens, and a thousand responsibilities to make the climb into the mountains. I was talking to a friend the other day saying that as a modern woman... I feel like I'm never free enough for my responsibilities. Never in a quiet enough space I want with God. And her response floored me. 
This is why God comes to women. Men have to climb the mountain to meet God. But God comes to women wherever they are. I've been pondering on her words for weeks and have searched my scriptures to see that what she said is true. God does indeed come to women where they are. When they are doing their ordinary, everyday work, He meets them at the wells where they draw water for their families, in their homes, in their kitchens, in their gardens. He comes to them as they sit beside sick beds, as they give birth, care for the elderly, and perform necessary mourning and burial rites. Even at the empty tomb, Mary was the first to witness Christ's resurrection. She was there because she was doing the womanly chore of properly preparing Christ's body for burial. In these seemingly mundane and ordinary tasks, these women of the scriptures found themselves face to face with divinity. So if, like me, you ever start to bemoan the fact that you don't have as much time to spend in the mountains with God as you would like, remember, God comes to women. He knows where we are and the burdens we carry. He sees us, and if we open our eyes and our hearts, we will see Him, even in the most ordinary places and in the most ordinary things. He lives, and He's using a time such as this to speak to women around the world. God came to Mary. Mary was living her life, doing her chores, cooking, cleaning, Maybe she was dreaming of being married to Joseph one day. Would he be a good match? Would he be kind? Would he be mean? God came to Mary. And God comes to us. And God meets us in our fears too. And Mary surely had much to fear. We're going to get to Mary's fear a little bit later on and how God meets her there. But before we get there, we need to know a little bit more about who Mary is. We don't know Mary's age. Although Jewish women in late Second Temple period married in their late teens and early 20s with their husbands being at least around 10 years older. We don't know if she was rich or poor. We don't know about her parents. We don't know if she had siblings. What we do know is that Mary came from Nazareth in the Galilean region of Palestine. Now, I want you to imagine that I am shaping out the land of Palestine like this, okay? North-South Palestine. The village of Galilee is at the top. It's in the north. Nazareth is in the region of Galilee. But then there's also the southern part of Palestine, and that is Judea. Now, from Kelly Nicandia's book, and I, I'm going to encourage you, if you want to read a Christmas book this season, grab this one. It's the first advent in Palestine by Kelly Nicandia. It's beautiful. It's absolutely a treasure. I have marked it up. I've had it for a year, and it has taken me a year to work through this book. It's so beautiful, absolutely incredible. But she says that in the region of Judea, the southern part, their lives focused on the Torah, the temple, the Davidic history and hopes, they didn't necessarily get along with the folks up here in the north, in the Galilean region. Nicandia says, The northern towns hailed from different tribes and had mixed with other people groups over the course of successive generations of conflict. They were considered lesser Jews because most of them were not circumcised and they didn't worship regularly in the temple because most of them had intermarried with non-Jewish people. 
Galileans, according to the Judeans, were simply not the best people. The expectation was that the Messiah would come from this southern region where the Davidic line is right there. The temple is there. The the Judeans were the ones who were doing it right. They were holding to those traditions. They were right. They were wrong. We were on the right side of the tracks. You people up there, you need to get it together. Bless your hearts. You don't know God like we know God. You don't love God like we love God. Nick and Dia says, but here is Mary, a girl of Galilee, and the God who goes to unexpected places, to the north when everyone is expecting south. This God can go to an unlikely girl in an unlikely place. God shows favor, demonstrating again and again in infinite reversals that human taboo and stigma do not limit the Spirit of God. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Rejoice, beloved young woman, for the Lord is with you and you are anointed with great favor. This word rejoice or behold in other translations, it means pay attention. Don't miss this. How many times have we said that to our children? our grandchildren, a niece, a nephew, a neighbor's kid. You're missing this. Listen, listen. How many? Yeah. Don't miss this, Mary. Mary was deeply troubled over the words of the angel and bewildered over what this may mean for her. This word, deeply troubled, does not cut it. And it's not accurate. It's not, this this phrase, deeply troubled, is just not the best translation. In the NRSV, the word perplexed is used. When I think of perplexed, I think of this. Huh. Right? Like, huh. Like, so-and-so in popular culture, divorce, so-and-so. And you're like, huh. Huh. Or something, right? Perplexed doesn't work here either. Neither does deeply troubled. The word, as A.J. Levine says, is terrified terrified. I want you to grasp that with me, that this ain't some little girl going, huh, all right now, okay, what's going to happen? No, she's scared to death. She's scared to death. I think one of, there's so many beautiful things about Advent, but I think about one of the most beautiful things about Advent that I can think of right now as a woman who was given birth, that I get to tell you my birth story. How many women in the house that have given a birth You love to tell your story, right? We love it, right? We love it. When I was giving birth to Celeste, I was on bed rest really about 29 weeks on. And uh, I was not well at all. Now, my mother teaches nursing, so I knew a thing or two about high blood pressure in pregnancy and about preeclampsia in pregnancy. I had had preeclampsia and high blood pressure with two of my other births. So I was not unaware of what was happening to my body. At 34 weeks, they could not keep my blood pressure down anymore. They had done everything they knew to do, so they wanted to induce me. They put me in at midnight, gave me nice medication to make me calm down, make me relax and sleep. 
And the next morning, we're going for a C-section. Now, my mother had told me that any time blood pressure gets to 200 over 120, you in danger, girl. That's not good. That's about what I knew about it. It was stroke level. I'm in the, I'm in the surgeon, in the surgery, and the anesthesiologist has me bent over to give me my spinal, and the cuff goes off, and I hear, and it's behind me. The reading is behind me. I'm not focusing on the reading. I'm assuming I'm in good hands and everything's fine. So I'm bent over, the cuff goes off, and I hear the anesthesiologist say, the most unprofessional anesthesiology on the planet. He said, that can't be right. I raise my back up, and I turn around and look, and it's like 220 over 125. Well, guess what happened then? It went up higher. And I'm thinking, I'm going to die on this table, and I'm never going to see this kid. And I have three more kids to raise. What are we doing here? He immediately put something in my IV, and I have no recollection for the next 36 hours. I don't remember people that came to see me. I remember nothing. Terrified. Absolutely terrified. But can I say just how good it makes me feel to know Mary was not just deeply troubled or perplexed? That makes me feel good, right, Mandy? Yeah, right. She was scared out of her mind. We can all identify with terror. We've all had those moments. Some of us have been taught, like, the Bible says 365 times in the Bible, do not fear, do not be afraid. And then on the other side of that, they proceed to preach a sermon or tell us a word about how if we are afraid or if we're fearful or if we're nervous, if we're anxious, if we're worried, then we just don't have enough faith. we got to grow our faith. We're not spiritually mature enough. Something like that. Right? Cole Arthur Riley in her book, This Here Flesh, says this hermeneutic, this interpretation offends her. That to be fearful means somehow or another we don't have faith. We're lacking. We don't have the maturity. We need to grow some. It offends her. She says God is not criticizing us for being afraid in a world haunted by so many terrors and traumas. I hear don't be afraid. And I hope that that is not a command not to fear, but rather the nurturing voice of a God drawing near to our trembling. I hear those words and imagine God in all tenderness cradling her creation against her breast. I imagine a God who whispers over me when I am fearful and anxious. And this is what I imagine God saying. My sweet thing, it's a southern expression and yes, I hear God in a southern accent. It's okay. You can hear God in your Midwestern accent. That's okay too. My sweet thing, I know you're nervous and afraid. You're fearful because you don't have control. The outcome could be anything. But I'm here. I love you. You make me happy. I am for you and I am not against you, Melinda. I'm here. I've never once imagined a God in my entire life 
who rolls her eye at my fear. Or a God who belittles my fear. Or a God who tells me to get it together and come back, come back to her later. Or worse, a God who tells me to calm down. Or dry your tears and put a smile on your face. That's not the God I know. How could God not be sympathetic to our fear? God in the flesh, as God's own son, knew fear, terror, intense terror on a cross. No one was telling Jesus to buck up, buddy, and stop your crying. No one was telling Jesus to suck it up and quit being a baby. God meets us in our fear, and God does not shame us for it. Cole Arthur Riley tells us that fear becomes anxiety when it makes its home in us. Fear becomes anxiety when it makes its home in us. I talked a little bit last week about my grandmother, Helms. She was the biggest worrier I've ever known in my entire life. She could give you dissertations at the dinner table, the kitchen table, about all the things there are in the world to worry about. My mother and her sisters were so annoyed by it. They grew up with it, right? So they were so annoyed by it. I thought it was funny. I thought she was cute. Just worry. Cole Arthur Riley, another book, This Here Flesh, that you need to read. God draws us toward fear's essential sister, rest. A sister who is not meant to replace fear, but to exist together in tension and harmony with it. Fear's origin is not evil. Fear is not evil. Fear, a lot of times, saves our stinking hide. Riley says that fear is more akin to a watchman than an enemy. Fear protects us from a dark, unknown alley. Fear protects us when we see a poisonous snake while we're hiking. Fear keeps us from eating cantaloupe right now because of a salmonella outbreak. I mean, don't buy the cantaloupe right now, okay? Just wait. Fear can be our watchman, our regulator, our common sense. God draws us to rest when we're fearful, if we let him to rest from our worries and fears. And sometimes we need help with this. Sometimes we need therapy and prescription medications and breathing exercises and meditation. We have to learn to rest, to catch our breath, to be able to keep on walking despite the fear and lack of peace. We need to rest. I was feeling anxiousness and even fear over a situation this past week. And before it could absolutely consume me, I remembered a nap is a good idea. So I watched a couple of episodes of utter horrible trash TV, read some of the latest pop cultural junk, and fell asleep on my couch. I woke up, felt a little bit lighter, not quite as anxious, not quite as obsessing, as maybe I would have in the past. Rest. Seek rest when you're fearful. Seek rest when you don't have peace. Read a trashy novel. Watch 90 Day Fiance or The Real Housewives or Naked and Afraid. Rewatch a TV series or a movie that makes you smile or laugh. 
Read your Bible if it gives you comfort and peace. So maybe not a trashing novel, but something inspiring and full of hope. Order takeout for crying out loud. Order some DoorDash, Mandy, right? Well, you could cook a meal, but if that gives you peace. <laughs> it doesn't for me, but you know. God meets us in our fear, and he gently tells us to rest. Mary is told that the baby's name is Jesus. The root of Yeshua comes from the same root of Hosea and Joshua. And it's also connected to the word Hosanna. All of which, Hosanna, Yeshua, Hosea, Joshua, all have the same root word. You know what it is? It's save. S-A-V-E, save. Hosea, a picture of God for God's people, the Israelites. Repeatedly forgiving and welcoming back with love over and over and over again. Hosea, saving. Joshua, leading the Israelites out of Egyptian captivity into the land of Canaan. Leading them out of slavery into wholeness. Joshua, saving. Jesus, saving. Not in the way that the Israelites anticipated or prayed for. A different kind of saving. Not the 20th century kind either. Not the Billy Graham kind of saving. Something different. Something unexpected and new. Mary hears that God has found favor in her and she's chosen to birth the Savior of the world, the Messiah. She asks, how can this be? And she's afraid. Then she's told about her cousin Elizabeth who is pregnant and that she should go to her. Two impossible pregnancies. One postmenopausal and one a virgin. From generation to generation, they would be a comfort and help to one another. God meets us in our fear and sends us friends. I think it's so beautiful that the angel vis-a-vis God knew that these two women would need each other. God put them together for three months. What a beautiful way to remind us that we need each other. Going through hard and fearful things alone is not good. I mean, man, our brains will spiral. We need our community. And God made sure that Elizabeth and Mary were not alone. And then the angel says to Mary, after she questions, how can this be? The angel tells her, not one promise from God is empty of power. Nothing is impossible with God. A barren woman can be pregnant. A virgin can give birth. The Lord came into history as a baby from Galilee, no less. Not one promise from God is empty of power. And Mary responded saying, Yes, I will be a mother for the Lord. As His servant, I accept whatever He has for me. May everything you have told me come to pass. And the angel left her. Mary consents. Mary gives her consent. The history of this region that we're talking about is an important backdrop to Mary's story. She is a young girl in a violent landscape. Imperial soldiers were known to violate women's and girls' bodies as a way to humiliate and control. Let that sink in for a minute. 
a young girl, a woman, imperial soldiers, that's living in a lot of fear. You're vulnerable. Mary knew that she was not safe around certain men. The same way that I and other women today know that we might not be safe around certain men. Nick and Dia writes, Perhaps it was important that God ask her consent when men did not. And perhaps she agreed to become the locus for incarnation, knowing now that she could trust God with her very body. Mary gave her consent, and God met her there too. Here is one of the truest things that I know about fear, anxiety, nervousness, worry. Sometimes the bottom really does fall out. Right? Sometimes the worst possible outcome happens. All those fears are realized. We don't know what repercussions Mary faced once she went back home. What did her parents say? What did her siblings say if she had any? What did the neighbors say? Oh, those neighbors. How many remember Gladys from Bewitched? That's right. Showing my age here today. Maybe her friends and neighbors abandoned her. Maybe they treated her differently. Maybe they thought the worst of her and never thought different. Maybe pregnancy heartburn was unbearable. Maybe morning sickness was out of control. Maybe her labor was a nightmare. From the poem that Mandy, I'm just calling on you all day long here. It's okay. From the poem that Mandy posted yesterday in our We Are Imago page, maybe Joseph didn't latch. I mean Joseph, sorry. Maybe the, Jesus didn't latch. We don't know. Maybe Joseph was unsympathetic. Maybe his family was cruel to her. Yeah, right. Whatever. What we do know for a fact is that she would see her son die a gruesome death. She stayed when all the men left. Joseph most likely had passed away long before then. The very worst did happen to Mary in the long run. Julian of Norwich says, If there's anywhere on earth a lover of God who, who is always kept safe, I know nothing of it, for it was not shown to me. But this was shown, that in falling and rising again, we are always kept in that same precious love. If there's anywhere on earth a lover of God who is always kept safe, I know nothing of it. Julian was on her deathbed when she wrote this. Here's another true thing that I know. God met Mary in her fear from the moment Gabriel told her that she was pregnant. And in the moment that she had to tell her family, her friends, God met her in her fear when she gave birth and she heard his first cry. And God met her in her fear when she heard his final cry. God with us. May this be an advent where we all know the peace of God that passes all understanding. And we know that God is with us.